Grace Church, uh, it's great to have you here. My name is Justin Ross, lead pastor here at Grace Church, and we are um, so excited at what God did last weekend and what He's going to continue to do. We've been praying that this would just be a stepping stone. Last weekend, we saw 503 people in attendance at our Easter services, all right? And you are stoked about that. Okay, Let, let's, let's practice. Let's practice clapping, all right? When we say 503 people, that's amazing, all right? We, we saw 503 people. Ah. See, it's, it's just more fun when you're engaged like that. It's just more fun. Otherwise, it's really scary up here. But uh, not only that, but we saw nine people baptized, and they were incredibly bold in, in the way they stepped out and, and were baptized. They came forward in that service at the end, and they were baptized that very day. It was an incredible time. And we have been praying and just asking God, just just allow this to be a stepping stone. Allow this to be a stepping stone to greater things. We want to see more and more life change. We want to see more and more people come to faith. And uh, I want to say thank you, Grace Church, for stepping up, for serving, for giving of your time, and uh, for making last weekend so special. A while back, we decided to do this two-week series called United. And uh, we wanted to talk about the importance of unity. And so we came up with this title, and, and we set the direction for the series. And then a week later, all kinds of craziness happened at United Airlines, all right? You kind of know that story probably. So I thought it would be good to clarify that when I say United, I'm not talking about the airlines, okay? Um, I'm talking about being united in Christ, united in purpose, united in our faith. But I also thought it would be kind of fun to start the series on a lighter note. Some of you have probably seen some of these, but uh, I wanted to start with some United Airline memes, okay? Alright, so let's just, just check this out. United Airlines, fight or flight, let us surprise you, alright? <laughs> How about that? Next one's funnier, I think. We put the hospital in hospitality. <laughs> and then, of course, the competitor, Southwest, had to capitalize on it. We beat the competition, not you. All right. When God talks about unity or being united, He had a completely different picture in mind. He had a completely different picture when He talked about the unity of His people, the unity of the church. And this morning, we're going to look at one of the last recorded prayers of Jesus before He went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, before He went to the cross. In Luke, a physician recorded the prayers that, that Jesus prayed, and also John, uh, one of His closest friends in the Gospel of John. But Luke, the physician, he said that Jesus' Jesus's prayers were strong, they were powerful, they were so strong, and they were so passionate that sweat was pouring down Jesus' head like drops of blood. I mean, these were intense prayers that Jesus was praying. He, they were fierce. They were, they were heavy. They were loaded. Have you ever wondered what Jesus prayed? Like, what was, what was causing Him to, man, to be so focused? What was He praying? What was He communicating to God the Father. What was he saying? What was what was it that was elevating the seriousness of his prayers? What was so heavy on the heart of Jesus Christ before his death? 
John, one of Jesus' closest friends, recorded some of the things that Jesus prayed in his letter called the Gospel of John. And I want to read it to us now. It's John chapter 17. And we're going to read verses 9 through 11. I encourage you to read the book of John. It's amazing. Read the whole chapter. I'm just picking out a few verses here for us this morning. And you may be a little shocked. You may be a little surprised at what Jesus prayed. John chapter 17, verses 9 through 11 Jesus says this, My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. Jesus prayed for you. So incredible. He knew what He was about to face and He wasn't praying for protection or personal safety. He was praying for you. He was thinking about you. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world, and they are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Jesus knew that death was not going to win. He knew He was going to walk out of that tomb. He was praying in confidence. And then He says, Holy Father, You have given me Your name. Now protect them. That's us. He's praying for us again. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. In this one chapter alone, Jesus appealed to the Father five times on our behalf, praying for unity among the believers. Unity was heavy on the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ. And just because Jesus prayed that we would be unified doesn't mean that, poof, you know, it's going to happen. We have to work hard at being united. We have to work hard for unity. And this morning, I want to give us some practical tools. I want to give us some encouragement in this area of unity, in this, in this idea of being unified. And I want to help us to understand that unity is not only important in our church, but unity is critical in so many areas of our lives. Unity is critical in your marriage. Unity is critical in the workplace. Unity is critical as as parents. Unity is critical even in athletics. I mean, unity affects so many different areas of our lives. Our desire is that we stand together united and that we stand together united to succeed, to win. Unity was heavy on the heart of Jesus before His death and He wanted us to be united as He and the Father are united, as they are one. So let's start this morning by asking the question, what's the big deal about unity? Unity... It's so critical. So why is it so critical? What's the big deal about unity? Why is unity so critical in so many areas of our lives? So let's talk about unity for just a little bit this morning. Unity is a critical piece in so many areas of our lives. So let's just consider the arena of marriage this morning. The scripture says a house divided cannot stand. Cannot stand. Marriage can be such a beautiful thing. And marriage, if you're not united, can also be hell on earth. Husband and wife, let me ask you, if 
If you're not unified in purpose, or if you're not unified in the direction of your lives, or the direction that your family is headed, it ain't gonna work. Because a house divided cannot stand. Trisha and I, we, we met in college, and uh, she couldn't resist me, you know? <laughs> she couldn't keep her eyes off me. Seriously, I mean, she just wouldn't leave me alone. And, uh, <laughs> okay, you're laughing because you know that's not true. It was exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. Um, gosh, I love that woman. I was physically attracted to Trisha, very much so, but through our time dating, I also became attracted to who she really was who she was on the inside. And while we were dating, we talked about everything. We talked through many, many conversations about everything that we could, and we, we knew, we learned about each other that, that we were united long before we got married. We both knew through conversations and, and through communicating, we both knew that we wanted to be in ministry. Somehow, some way. We both wanted kids We both wanted to raise our kids in church to teach and to show them the ways of the Lord. We both were in agreement on this. We both knew that someday Trisha would have a career, but during the younger years of our kids' lives, Trisha wanted to work at home as much as possible. And and I agreed, and I thought that this was a good idea. We were unified in this path. And I, I just want to take a moment to say I use the phrase, work at home, because It is a full-time job being a mom. And moms, you're awesome, just so you know. Keep up the good work. But Trisha and I, we talked about everything we could think of. And we knew that life was going to throw us some curveballs. Life was going to... It wasn't just going to be everything we planned. There was going to be some bumps in the road. And we would have to adjust and learn and change. But the more we communicated the more we realized that our futures looked similar. They looked, they looked very similar. And we had, what it, what it boiled down to is we had shared vision for what we wanted for our futures, for what we wanted for our life. Let me ask you, are you, or do you rather, do you and your spouse, do you have shared vision? When we talk about this idea of unity, You need to have shared vision. And this would be one of the main points that we want to focus on. Do you have shared vision? Does your future look similar? Are you going in the same direction? Because it's just common sense. If you're going different paths, you're not unified. You're going to end up in different places. You have to have shared vision. Do you share the same vision for your lives, for your future? And and let let me just say this. If not... Start working in that direction. Start asking each other questions and and try to seek understanding. Communicate with one another. And just a quick reminder, one of the biggest pieces of communication is listening. So try to talk less and listen more and, and seek understanding because we know that a house divided cannot stand. To be united, we, we need to have shared vision And to have shared vision, you need to be on the same page with what you value in life. Your picture of the future needs to look similar, and and you need to talk about these things often. You need to communicate. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, when He prayed that we would be united as He and the Father are united, 
He knew. He was praying for us because He knew it was going to be challenging. He knew that it's so easy for us to get sidetracked and distracted and to go different directions and to bicker and to fight and to to make little things into big things. And He knew this was going to be a problem for us. And so He was praying that we would be unified as He and the Father are unified. We need to talk about these things often in our marriages, in our churches. We need to talk about these things often in the workplace. As parents, we need to communicate about these things because vision leaks. It's so easy to get on different pages. It's so easy to get sidetracked. In marriage and ministry at work, we need to continually remind ourselves of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Trisha and I just had this conversation just recently. Like I said, she works at home. And because we've made that decision, sometimes things in our lives, it, it's, we, we can't do what maybe uh, a home that has two people working can do. And that's okay. This is what we've chosen. This is a path. One path isn't better than the other. This is just what we've chosen. But we had to sit down and we were looking at our finances and we had to say, hey, what are we doing again? And why are we doing this? Oh yeah, we were able to remind ourselves and encourage one another and we were able to continue down that path because we were able to refocus. We were able to to encourage one another. We need to continually remind ourselves of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And it it doesn't just play out in a marriage, it plays out in church. It plays out in the business world. So check your course. Know the path that you're on. And here's the big one. Be willing to adjust. Be willing to change where you need to. We have to work hard at having shared vision. If if you don't have shared vision, you'll go in different directions. And without shared vision, the house begins to divide. So yes, we want to be unified as a church. But let me just say, let's, let's start, instead of focusing on the church, let's start with your marriage, with my marriage. Let's start with a unified family because what you do at home spills over into the rest of our lives. Spills over into the rest of your life. And the healthier you are at home, the healthier our church is going to be. The healthier your career life will be. Unity was heavy on the heart and the mind of Jesus because unity matters. It's important. Without it, chaos reigns. Without it, the mission is thrown into disorder. Disunity disrupts the mission. Unity is critical in marriage, in the workplace, in so many areas of our lives. Unity is critical in athletics. Let me share a story from the glory days. Okay? My senior year in high school. Brace yourselves. <clears throat> My senior year in high school at DHS, our football team was one win away from becoming league champs and having the number one ranking in the state of Colorado. It was pretty awesome. The only thing that stood in our way was the Grand Junction Tigers. Okay? And disunity. Our game against the Tigers took place, and at halftime, we were down 21 to nothing. We were a mess. We were bickering in the huddle. We were arguing on the sidelines. We we were going all kinds of different directions. And we walked in at halftime like we had been defeated. I mean, we were just, we were a mess. 
We were not unified. But something in me just, I couldn't allow this disunity to continue. Let me just tell you something about me, okay? I wasn't very vocal on the team. I was very quiet. And um, I was an offensive lineman because I'm so fast, okay? And that's why they put me in that position. But something in me snapped in the locker room. And I called the team together. And I spoke to my teammates. And I reminded them of how poorly we had played in the first half. And then I challenged them to go out in the second half and to not only make up the deficit, but let's win this game. Let's get on the same page. Let's be unified. Remember what's at stake here. We could be ranked number one. It simply took someone pointing out the obvious. We were not unified. And if we didn't get on the same page in a hurry, we were going to lose that game. And something in our team changed. We ran back onto the field after halftime, like full of confidence, like we had already won the game. And we ended up winning that game 28 to 21. All right? The good old glory days. Let me just, the reason I'm sharing this is because when there is unity, amazing things can be accomplished. I'm not sharing this story to relive the glory days. I'm I'm sharing this story because I want to point out this reality. When you're united, you win. When you're united, you win. You win in your marriage. You win in your ministry. You win in your career. You win on the athletic field. When you're united, you win. Being united as followers of Jesus Christ is the most powerful way we can show Jesus to the world. Whether we go to church, read our Bibles, kneel in prayer, put money in the offering boxes, or say, God bless you. The most visible proof that God is in our lives will always be our love for God and our love for people. That's the evidence. That's the proof. And if we don't have that, our faith will come into question. And and even worse, people will doubt the truthfulness of the God we serve The fact of the matter is, church, we need one another. We need each other. Mother Teresa put it this way. She said, I cannot do what you can do. You cannot do what I can do. But together, we can do great things. We need one another. This was heavy on the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ because He knew how important it was for us to be unified. Okay, so so we have shared vision. Our values line up and our picture of the future is very similar. We know where we want to go. We, we know where we're headed. And, and so let's just say, <clears throat> for example, this is, this is where we want to go. It's, it's clear. We're, we're all moving in the same direction. So now what? What's next? To know what the next step is, you have to define reality. Okay, this would be the next point. You have to know where you are. Where are you? If this is where you want to be, if this is where you want to go, what is your current reality? Where are you at right now? And when you define your current reality, let's say your current reality is down here somewhere, it makes it obvious where you need to go, what steps you need to take to get where you want to go. 
The space between where you are and where you want to be can be clearly seen. And so I ask you again, where are you at in your marriage? Many of us, we live in denial. Sometimes we're not honest with ourselves. We're not honest about how maybe rough the marriage is or how rough the ministry is. And sometimes it has to begin with reality. Where are you? Where are you at as a parent in your career and your finances? Sometimes in order to get help, you have to be honest about where you are. What is your current reality? To know where you want to go, you have to know where you're at so you can change, so you can make steps forward. You see, Jesus, when He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, He knew He was going to conquer death. He was praying in confidence and boldness in that way. He was going to come back to life. He knew He was going to redeem us from our brokenness. He was going to make a way for us to be reunited back with God the Father. But as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, He was still looking a brutal death right in the face. He was looking death by crucifixion. A a death that is so brutal, the Scripture says He was beaten so badly, those closest to Him could barely recognize Him. In His current reality, He stood on the other side of a horrible death. A horrible death on the cross. And He needed to pray. That's why He was praying so intently and so passionately. He needed strength from God, His Father, to get from where He was to where He wanted to be. He knew that He needed time with God to make it through, to get to where He wanted to be. And so I ask you again, where are you at? Where are you at? And listen, we, we, we said this last weekend, we're all broken. I think Chris said we're all jacked up, is the way he put it. So wherever you're at, God loves you nonetheless. He loves you nonetheless. So be honest. Be real. What is your current reality? Okay, so you know where you want to go. You know where you're at. And now, you should be doing this through the whole process, but you need to pray. You need to pray and you need to make some plans. You need to pray and you need to make some plans. How are you going to get from where you are to where you want to be? You remember the example of Nehemiah? Nehemiah was a slave. And Nehemiah was heartbroken about the condition of his hometown, the city of Jerusalem. And his hometown was was, uh, devastated. It was in ruins. There was no walls uh, to protect uh, the city from the enemy. There were no businesses, no churches, no tourists. There were no grocery stores. There was nothing. It was just complete devastation. And Nehemiah knew that he had to do something about this. He had to do something about this brokenness. And so what did he do? Check out Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. And it says, When I, speaking of Nehemiah, heard this, speaking of the devastation of his hometown, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah prayed. That's what he did. He prayed. And then in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, it says, O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us, plural, who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today. Father, help me to win. 
Help me to rebuild this devastated city. Not only did Nehemiah pray, but then he made some plans. And when the opportunities came for Nehemiah to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, he wasn't lucky, he was ready. He was ready because he was prayed up and he was planned up. And when the opportunities presented themselves, he moved forward with confidence. And he saw the city of Jerusalem rebuilt. You know, after you have a shared vision, after you've defined reality and you've prayed and you've made plans, now you're in a position to act. Now you're in a position to execute the plans. Doing what you've planned to do can be summed up in one word, and it's this. It's it's a word that is full of action. It's the word faith. It's full of action. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, the Scripture says. Faith without works is dead. Faith without doing what you've planned to do is dead. You have to put action to your prayer life. Just because you've prayed for something doesn't mean it's going to happen. God's going to give you direction. He's going to give you clarity. And then you have to have the faith to take the step. You have to put action to your prayer life. Faith is full of action. So how do we... We're talking about this idea of unity. How do we live out this thing called unity? How do we stay united in our marriage as parents in the workplace? How do we stay united in our church? It starts with a shared vision. Okay, Do we value the same things? Does our future look similar? And if we have shared vision, then we need to define our current reality. Where are we at right now? What's our current state? Where are we at in our relationship? And, and that exposes what needs to happen to get us from where we are to where we want to be. And then, you know, we're praying the whole time, we're making plans, but here's the key. This is the key. We have to have the guts to go. We have to have the guts to step out in faith by putting what we've planned into action. Once again, church, without faith... It is impossible to please God. Impossible to please the Lord. Lastly, to live out this this unity that Jesus was praying for in the Garden of Gethsemane. I might be up on a little bit of a soapbox here and I apologize for that, but we have got to believe the best about each other. You know, the church has had a bad reputation of always being against. We're known for being against this and being against that and boycotting this business and boycotting that business. And Can we be for something? Can we be for something? Let's err on the side of being for instead of being against. We are for this community. We want this community to prosper. We want people to flourish. We want people to succeed in their marriages and in their lives and in their careers. We're for people. We want people to succeed at life. So let's do our best to lift people up instead of tearing them down. It's not about correcting people. It's about connecting with people. Or to put it even a little bit more bluntly, the world is tired of hearing about the love of Jesus Christ. They want to see the love of Jesus Christ. 
And there's no greater way, church. There's no greater way to show Jesus than for God's people to be united. And what are we united around? We're united around His two greatest commands. We love God and we love people. Let's be united around that. Church, let me me just say, you are doing a great job of showing the love of Jesus. I want to brag on you for just a moment. We're making huge, huge strides in this area of unity. And and people are taking notice. It's affecting people. It's changing people. Not only did we have 503 people in attendance last weekend, and not only did we have 9 people baptized, which is incredibly cool, but we also had a first-time guest survey. See, when guests come for the first time and they fill out a guest information card, we send them a survey just to say, how was your experience? And I want to read this survey from last weekend, and I hope you're blessed by it. The survey that we send out, it has little statements on it, and people respond to those statements. And and here's how a young lady responded to those statements from last weekend. The first statement says, this is what I noticed first, and here's her response. Everyone was very friendly, and although I came with a friend who is a member, I met five people in the first five minutes. I was at grace. Way to go. That's awesome. The next statement said, this is what I like best. I loved the music and the message and I learned something new about God and following Him. And I felt like it was not the traditional Easter service that I have heard all my life. (laughs) Come on. This makes me want to dance right here. This is good. You see, because when people come in, we want to quench their thirst. We want to give them something to drink. We want their experience to be amazing. We want them to walk away going, man, I want the God that they serve. I don't know if I believe everything yet, but I am, I'm, I'm blown away by their friendliness and their kindness and their generosity. I, I want the God that they serve. The next phrase said, I won't dance anymore. The, the next <laughs> phrase said, this is what I liked least. I didn't really dislike anything, she said. What was your best overall impression of Grace Church, good or bad? It seems like a friendly, open, pretty chill place for people to come and grow in their faith. Ah, and this is, the next phrase says, this is what I'm looking for in a church. And her answer was, Grace is pretty much what I'm looking for in a church, to be honest. It is contemporary, and I love the message. She she said that twice, by the way, I just wanted you guys to know that. Okay, just teasing. It's contemporary, and I love the message and the music. Friends, listen, people are coming not because of the message. Not because we're so cool. People are coming because they see love being lived out. People are coming because they see a group of people who are united around a great purpose. And they see crazy generosity and they sense adventure. And they see a group group of people who are not afraid to follow the Holy Spirit and to take action. People who, man, they're, they're coming because lives are being transformed. Can we get more of what we experienced last weekend? Please, God. Because I don't know about you, but that's what I've been praying. I've been praying, Lord, do it again. Father, do more. We want to see more. Grace Church, listen, greater days 
are ahead of us and the adventure is about to crank up a couple notches. And this is what we've been praying for. This is what we've been fighting for. And I pray that we will have the boldness. Because here's the scary part. When God says, hey, I want you to go this way, we have to have the faith to step out and follow. And when you do that, sometimes that's when you experience resistance from the enemy. That's when you can experience attacks from the enemy. You can experience trials and hardships and it can be scary. But gosh, there's no greater path to be on than a path following the Holy Spirit of God. As I close this morning, I want to speak briefly to those of you who are new here or those of you who are still exploring the things of God. Maybe you're here for the second time. You came back. Man, it's so... We are so excited. We love that you're here. And uh, we couldn't be more excited about the fact that you're here. And we don't want you to feel any pressure, but we would love for you to join us on this adventure. We would love for you to journey with us. And we've created some next steps to help you on your path, on your faith journey. And discovering grace would be a great next step to take. Over 350 people have taken this discovering grace next step. And they found it to be very helpful and it's informative and it moved them forward on their faith journey. And this next step called discovering grace, it's happening uh, Sunday, May 7th. And so you can sign up today right after the service at the Welcome Center. It's free. We'll feed you lunch. We basically open up the hood of Grace Church and say, hey, this is what we're all about. This is where we're going. Do you want to, do you want to come with? Uh, do you want to join us? And it's a great step to take. And I'm going to invite the band, if you guys would come up. And this morning, what I want to leave us with is some things that the Apostle Paul had to say about being united. And, uh, this is an incredible section of scripture. And this comes from a letter that Paul was writing while he was in prison. And remember that he was in prison because of his belief in Jesus Christ. And because he served Jesus. That, that's what he was guilty of for serving. Pretty much the same thing Jesus was guilty of. He was guilty of loving people and serving people. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 4. It's incredible. Listen to this. Therefore I, speaking of Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And notice he didn't say live a life. He said lead a life. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. That's you. You have been called. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. We're going to make mistakes. There needs to be forgiveness. We we need to to make allowance for that. In verse 3, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope. For the future. It doesn't sound doomsday to me. It sounds like greater things are coming. And I want to be a part of it. Jesus prayed that we would be united just like He and the Father are one. And church, let me just remind us. When we're united, we win. 
And I know winning is a lot more fun than losing. I want to win. Let's be united. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you.